Thank you, Pastor Kyle. And boy, it is so good to be with you this morning. I'm very thankful. I'm so thankful we got to actually sing together with the, with the band. And thank you, Jason. And man, our team, they worked really hard to make all that happen. And there was a few rough patches, but it's almost, we're used to that. We're hockey players, so they could switch positions and go on the fly and everything. I was really impressed this morning. So thank you very much. And thank you for coming. Well, on a Thanksgiving day that we have to all admit is unlike any other, you might be wondering, what can we be thankful for? I mean, it seems like we have less to be thankful for. Is that true? We have less to be thankful for this Thanksgiving? Well, I liken this Thanksgiving weekend to what is a tradition in my family, and that is having apple cider. We love having apple cider on this weekend. And uh, I guess it started when we used to, when the kids were real small, we'd go to this, this, um, this cider mill and we would get these homemade cider donuts. And now I'm making you all hungry, right? <laughs> and then we would watch, they'd make cider the old-fashioned way. Who's here has ever seen apple cider being made? Okay, a few of you. It's cool. Let me explain how the process works. So you grab all these apples, and they don't have to be the premium apples. They could actually be the grade C apples, not with some blemishes. And they'll put these apples in a press, and it will make this apple mush. And they take this apple mush. It sounds kind of gross, but they'll take this apple mush, and they'll put this in a, in a sackcloth, in some kind of cloth material, and then they'll press it even further. And that's, as they press it, that's where you get the apple cider. Now, some of you may be wondering, what's the difference between apple cider and apple juice? Well, the difference is the filtration process. With apple cider, you don't get that pure juice. There's some sediment. There's some color to those things. And so I think about this weekend, and I feel like in some ways 2020 has been like apple cider. We've all been pressed by plagues and restrictions and so much struggle, and yet there is sweetness mixed with sentiment. We carry the leftovers of life being pressed on upon us, don't we? And someday, in the new heavens and new earth, they'll just be pure, pure us, right? Right now, we are being pressed and going through this refining process. And it really begs the question, because you can have bitter apple cider, you can have sweet apple cider. So when we get pressed, and as we're being pressed, is there bitterness or is there sweetness coming out? Which will you have this Thanksgiving and beyond? Bitterness or sweetness? This is a a great opportunity as God uses the circumstances of our world to press on upon us how he can speak deep into our lives. And it's really time to wake up from our slumber and malaise because God has a new vision for us, a vision of of hope in these dark times. If you have your Bible, please turn to Zechariah chapter 4. You can Google that, Zechariah chapter 4. It's spelled right there. You can look at this online too, uh, Zechariah chapter 4. And it's time to wake up for our turkey-induced fatigue, right? And it's time to find another vision that God has given to us. So, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, just out of respect. If you want to do that at home with your families, that would be great too. Zechariah chapter 4, starting verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter of Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the last books in the Old Testament. 
And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. And then he said to me, This is what the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel says. Not by might, nor by power, but what? But by my spirit, yeah, says the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone and shouts of, let's all say this together, grace to it, grace to it. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. And then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. And then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes for which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. And then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And may God add understanding to the reading of his word, which was like 2,500 years ago and still has relevance for us today. You may be seated. Now, when you hear the word act of God, when you hear the words acts of God, do you think of that as a positive term or a negative term? I'm going to tell you, most people think of that as a negative term. In fact, um, in the insurance company, when they have uh, defined the act of God, an act of God, it's, they describe it as an unforeseeable, catastrophic event by which they're not going to pay uh, you any kind of coverage. That's at least my understanding. It's a way of blaming God without believing in God. Uh, this summer, my baseball team, um, we planned to go to Cincinnati, Ohio for a tournament. And we booked that tournament uh, over a year ago. And so when COVID-19 hit, we thought, well, let's try to get our money back. And so our team manager called the team, uh, the tournament coordinator there in, in uh, the States and said, hey, we're not able to go. The border's closed. And so um, uh, could we get our money back? Well, the tournament coordinator said this. He said, well... This was an act of God, and so you're not going to get your money back. But here's the thing. Our team manager is really smart. He screenshotted what the restrictions were on the website, and there was no clause of act of God before he started having this conversation. And he actually videoed the website as they were talking as the words acts of God, act of God was added to the restrictions. And he said to him, well, actually, I just watched you put that extra clause in there. Could we get a refund? And so the tournament coordinator said, 
well, I'll give you a refund less 25% of the administrative fee. He used the words act of God to tell a lie and to take the Lord's name in vain. What a reminder these days that um, we uh, might try to use the name of God uh, for our own benefit, for our own profit. As my father-in-law has said, there are those who use God and those whom God uses. Which describes you? You trying to use God? Or is God using you in a good and right way? I believe there are many in our society that are balking at or trying to use God as an act of God. As all these things happen this year and even in life and saying, it's an excuse not to follow God. But if that is you today, may I remind you and suggest to you that these hard times are an opportunity to see that God really does care for you. He has a heart for you. And yet like the apples being pressed in cider... There can be a sweetness that comes in these pressing times and hard times. And we can actually be thankful. In fact, today I want to give you five acts of God that we can be thankful for. You might want to write these down. You can do this online too. At home, five acts of God to be thankful for. The first is this. God sees all. God sees all. God sees everything. What am I getting this from? Look at your Bibles again at Zechariah 4 verse 2. And you see this vision, and, and Zechariah says, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it and with seven lips. Now those aren't these type of lips, okay? We're talking about the lip where you'd pour the oil in, okay? And, and these seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. Now I don't want you to confuse this kind of lampstand with the Jewish menorah because that... The Jewish menorah didn't come into play for a couple hundred years later when the Maccabean Jews revolted against the Greek and Syrian oppressors and rose up and there was, uh, they overcame them. And so there was a great festival that was celebrating and the, the oil um, lasted longer during the feast of what? Anybody know? The feast of Hanukkah. And that's, that's a different candelabra. This candle opera, as, as Mark Boda says, and let me just quote it to you, the lampstand connected always to the temple and to the tabernacle represents the temple's project, and its lamps are the eyes of the Lord. When you see a lampstand, it has to do with the eyes of the Lord, and it, it, it identifies this, and I quote, God's all-pervading all -pervading presence throughout the earth. You think about it. A lampstand's purpose is to shine light, to let things be seen. In this vision, we see that these seven lights, these seven channels, represent that God sees everything. We heard about that last Sunday um, when we see in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9, For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, Seven represents perfection in the Bible. And so God perfectly sees things. Then look at chapter 4, verse 9, or verse 10. We find the interpretation. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the whole earth. So God sees all. Let me ask you a question. 
Does that scare you? Does that scare you that God sees all? That he sees everything that happens at work and in your car and at school and on your screens and at home? I mean, God's always watching. Reminds me of a song we used to sing in Sunday school. Maybe you know it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in what? Love. Oh, be careful, little what you see. Yeah. And I just remind you that God's not looking down in judgment. He's looking down in love towards you. God really loves you. He cares about you. I mean, God's vision is perfect. He has 20-20 vision. His vision for 2020, the year of 2020, is perfect. He knows exactly what's going to happen. It's a reminder as you're isolated that God's presence is with us. You might think that things are uncertain. They're not because God sees and you are one who belongs to him if you believe in Jesus Christ. I hope that gives you a lot of encouragement today. That he cares about you. And as you remember that God sees everything, that should hold us accountable. We should be like, okay, I got to... God's watching. But it also reminds us that God gives us great comfort. And I hope you'll know that today. I was thinking about that for Dennis Harlock when he lost his wife Maureen last week. You know, God gives us comfort. See, someone who's negligent is someone who is entrusted with care of somebody else and then they, they just stop watching them. God is never negligent. He is always watching us. He's caring for you. He sees all. That's the first thing to be thankful for. Are you thankful that God sees all? The second act of God that we can be thankful for is that God gives us himself through the Holy Spirit. This is part of the way that he sees all. God doesn't just see at a distance. He sees way up close. He's not like, he's not like that camera, you know, that some of you have that gives you, whether you're away from at work or at school, and you can look and see when somebody's at the front door, your, your doorbell camera. I mean... God sees because he's nearby. He is with us. The truth of the matter is God's presence is with us because God's presence is in us through the Holy Spirit. And what I love even further is because I am a sinner. I need God's grace. And it's, it's most experienced through the Holy Spirit. What I'm getting at is this act of God is something that we can be grateful for. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Then he said to me, this is Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Notice that the gift of the Holy Spirit wasn't just given to the one you'd expect. You thought it would be Joshua the high priest. But the Holy Spirit is given to Zerubbabel. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Why, why give it to this guy named Zerubbabel? Well, Zerubbabel, his name means seed of Babylon. He was one of the leaders that came through for the first wave of exiles back from Judah. And he became the governor of Judah, and he takes prominence. We read about him in the book of Haggai in, in Ezra chapter 3, verse 2. And surprisingly, think about this, the seed of Babylon leads God's people, but he leads differently than had been modeled to him. See, the government that the Zerubbabel 
had been under was under the dictator, the all-powerful king. Well, he's not all-powerful, but very powerful king, Darius, who ruled over the Persian Empire. Zerubbabel had nobody to really look just ahead of him and say, this is how you should lead a people. He only learned what not to do. I got to tell you that I think that's how many of us are at. We see our leaders, whether in government, whether in, in school, maybe even in church, that are leading with anger and division and causing all sorts of problems for us, even corruption. It used to be that you would, extreme, you would experience leaders to be a little left or a little, I guess a little right, a little left, right? And you would kind of gently walk, you know, rock back and forth. And now doesn't it feel like we're just being tossed to and fro from all the extremes of what's going on? I had a friend this week that told me, he said, we're not too far off from 1930s Germany where the, uh, you only had two choices, the, the fascist or the communist. I hope that we're not leading down that way, but I'm hearing of and experience myself losing people who are, who are living into these extremes, whether, you know, they're just like, the, everybody's against us, or they're, they're not taking anything serious. And I think we'd be well advised to follow the words of Dallas Willard, who says this, it is not knowledge but nervous uncertainty that makes people dogmatic and closed-minded and hostile, which spokespeople for Christ must never be. Amen to that? Notice what he said there. It's not the knowledge but nervous uncertainty that is causing these dogmatic and extreme views we see all over the place right now. And here's the good thing. I'll keep reminding you. For the Christian, we have certainty because God is in control. He is the one through his spirit who will help us. I tell all my kids all the time that they can live differently than the world. So listen up. If I can just speak to those in the next generation. You do not have to lead in the same way that you are being led. You can lead differently. You can lead through the power of the Holy Spirit. Walter Kaiser has said, human effort with the, without the supply of the oil of the Holy Spirit will burn itself out. But the Holy Spirit, guess what? He will produce fruit. Remember Galatians chapter 5, verse 22? The fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control, right? You may think that these characteristics are weak, but these are what will last. They will last for all eternity. And through the Holy Spirit inside of you, He will produce these things in you. We know that He produced these things in the life of Zerubbabel. He was a, a very um, recognized leader and served the people well. In fact, so much so that he actually gets the reward of being listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which we read about in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, uh, Luke chapter 3. My friends, 
the Holy Spirit has been promised to us. If you're trying to fix everything in your life from the outside in, it won't happen. It's got to be from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is not a power. He is a person. He is the spirit of the resurrected Jesus Christ who lives today, who wants to give you a new life and transform you. And though you're being pressed, he will continue to refine you so that you have sweetness in your life. This is how God never leaves us nor forsakes us. It's the Holy Spirit. And that's who leads us to the next act of God that we can be thankful for. God eliminates all barriers by his grace. God eliminates all barriers by his grace. Not only can we be thankful for the acts of God seeing all, and he does so through his Holy Spirit and through, to eliminate all these barriers through his grace. Look at verse 7. Look at what it says in verse 7. Notice that Zerubbabel will have the ability through the Holy Spirit to level mountains. Do you see this? Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. I mean, the top stones would level off. My daughter and I were actually out in British Columbia this past week climbing some mountains, and it was, there was these massive rocks that had fallen off the mountain, and we're like, no, how could have that happened? God through his power and through the watching of all this universe, has done such things. The people in, in Zechariah's day had many obstacles. Can you imagine coming out fresh out of exile, or maybe you actually can, coming out of quarantine. There was many executive orders. There was, there was government. There were, they, the people were outcasts. Maybe you feel like an outcast. And yet God raised up a leader, Zerubbabel, to level off all these obstacles by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, these people came to the conclusion that it was God's grace. It wasn't Zerubbabel, it was, it was God's grace. That's why they said grace, grace to it. Uh, my friends, there are lots of obstacles in our way. I realize there's mountains of major disappointments Maybe this weekend you're actually wanting to spend time more with your friends and family. You can't. Can I tell you that God will give us strength to overcome these challenges? See, from God's perspective, the mountains are just little rises. I took this picture from the plane ride that it was on. And these are, this is a big mountain, but from above, this looks like a little, a little incline. Are you grateful for God seeing everything? for his spirit, for his eliminations of barriers by his grace. If today you think, I have to do all these things to believe in Jesus, to go to heaven, you don't. You, you just have to believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. That can be true for everyone here today. He's eliminated all barriers by his grace. Which leads us to a, fifth, a fourth act that we can be thankful for. That God will finish the work that he has put forth. He will finish the work and he's going to do it for our joy and he's going to overcome our small-mindedness. Small I sometimes suffer from small-mindedness. I, I heard about um, a man who suffered from small-mindedness. He saw things only from his perspective. He was, he was, he was kind of old school, old-fashioned husband. 
he said this. He said, I've been thinking as he came home one day from work to his wife. He said, I'm the man of this house. And so starting tomorrow, I want to have a hot, delicious meal ready for me the second I walk through the door. Afterwards, while watching sports and relaxing in my chair, uh, you'll bring me my slippers and then run my bath. And when I'm done with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? His wife said, the funeral director, right? <laughs> well, all joking aside, small-mindedness is a killer. When we get so myopic and, and think only about ourselves and not see it from God's perspective, that's when we're in trouble. Amazingly, God uses Zerubbabel to overcome the small-mindedness. He uses the earlier version of a young man measuring out Jerusalem. And so think about this. Not only does Zerubbabel, that seed of Babylon, do all the surveying work, but he also does the finishing work. Look at verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Many of us, when we work in the factory, we don't get to see all the completion. We just have one part of it. Or we know that we're part of a chain of things that are happening. Even in the kingdom of God, we disciple somebody and then somebody else takes over. But Zerubbabel got to finish the work that God had put before him. It's an amazing gift to be a layer of the foundation and to be also one who puts in that final nail, especially when you're born in Babylon. Think about it. The fact that the temple was completed in Zerubbabel's time was an amazing uh, truth that showed that the Bible can be trusted and God's word can be trusted. Now the people in that day, didn't, they didn't quite see it that way. Look at verse 10. It says, forever has despised the day of small things. Maybe that, that could be interpreted as um, when you first start something, just like when we first started building here, it's like, man, it's, they're not seeming to get much done. But then as time went on, it's much more has been done. Or it could be that, that small-mindedness. We actually see in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, and Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, when they finished the temple there in Jerusalem, the, the older generation wept because they were like, this is nothing compared to what Solomon's temple that we remember before Babylon. And yet God does not despise the small things. You do those small things for the Lord, they can be used in mighty and magnificent ways and bear much fruit. And it will bring joy as we overcome small-mindedness. I believe this with us today. As we, we attempt to finish off our Big Reach campaign. It's been a few years. We've delayed, and, and, and God, out of great thankfulness to God, we, we are going to give back to him, and we're trying to build this community center for his glory. And just like Zerubbabel, who had nothing come from Babylon, we are ones that we are just trusting the Lord to take care of us. Do not despise the thought of small things. There can be joy, and we can, we can think about, okay, yeah, we can... We can worship uh, in person in, in limited ways, or maybe we have to wear masks. You know what? Let's, let's be more thankful for what we do have, right? This leads us to the final act of God that we can be thankful for in verse um, 12 through 14, and that is God leaves us witnesses. God leaves us witnesses. You need witnesses, and maybe some of you are witnesses. 
Did you catch the vision of the two olive trees standing beside the lampstand? Now, olive trees flourish um, with symbolism in this vision. An olive tree is a very hardy tree. In fact, some olive trees last like 2,000 years. There are olive trees on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem that can be dated back to the time of Christ. And... They produce lots of olives, great fuel for the lampstand. In other words, God's light grows brighter through these verses. And this is evident in verse 14 as the angel explains who these olive trees represent. And it says in verse 14, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, immediately, probably like you, you're like, like me, you're like, who are these witnesses? Who are these two witnesses, these anointed ones? Well, maybe they're Joshua and Zerubbabel in that day. Or maybe we jump forward to Revelation chapter 11 where it talks about two witnesses. They'll do all these miracles. Maybe it's God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We don't know. The witnesses, though, do illuminate God's truth for each generation. Here's what you need to know when you're interpreting the Bible. It's best when we don't get a specific interpretation with names in the Bible. We trust God with the details. What we do know is God leaves his witness of his grace and truth for every generation, which is why Christianity has survived despite all of the persecution down through the years. And this is why on a weekend, when, you know what, it might seem like we can be less thankful. We focus on what we don't have. We as Christians can be leaders in gratitude. Leaders in gratitude. And we can focus on what we do have. And nobody demonstrated this better than our own leader, Jesus Christ. Remember on the night that he was betrayed? The Bible records he amazingly gave thanks. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24. If you turn there to 1 Corinthians 11, you'll see what we, we say as we prepare for communion. And we realize that none of us drank from such a bitter cup as our Lord Jesus Christ, right? It should be not lost on us where Jesus prayed. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane between olive trees. And he was pressed in that garden. Except it wasn't olive oil that came out. He actually sweat drops of blood as he was pressed. As he poured out his life for many. For you and for me. And yet Jesus, he didn't become bitter. No wonder why wine was used by Jesus to help us remember his bittersweet death. And yet Jesus gave thanks and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is the greatest act of God ever made. He gave us his son Jesus to die for us and rise again so that we might have new life. So are you thankful? If you have nothing else to be thankful for this weekend, you have thankful. You can be thankful for the fact that Jesus died for you and offers you new life.